0: chapter thirty one of cousin betty by Honoré de balzac translated by james waring this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by bruce peary chapter thirty one marshal hulot drove home with his brother who took the front seat respectfully leaving the whole of the back of the carriage to his senior the two men spoke not a word hector was helpless the marshal was lost in thought like a man who is collecting all his strength and bracing himself to bear a crushing weight on arriving at his own house still without speaking but by an imperious gesture he beckoned his brother into his study the count had received from the emperor napoleon a splendid pair of pistols from the versailles factory he took the box with its inscription given by the emperor napoleon to general hulot out of his desk and placing it on the top he showed it to his brother saying there is your remedy lisbeth peeping through the chink of the door flew down to the carriage and ordered the coachman to go as fast as he could gallop to the rue plumet within about twenty minutes she had brought back adeline whom she had told of the marshal's threat to his brother the marshal without looking at hector rang the bell for his factotum the old soldier who had served him for thirty years Beaupier, said he fetch my notary and count Steinbach and my niece hortense and the stockbroker to the treasury it is now half-past ten they must all be here by twelve take hackney-cabs and go faster than that he added a republican allusion which in past days had been often on his lips and he put on the scowl that had brought his officers to attention when he was beating the broom on the heaths of brittany in seventeen ninety nine les Chouans. you shall be obeyed marechal said beaupier with a military salute still paying no heed to his brother the old man came back into his study took a key out of his desk and opened a little malachite box mounted in steel the gift of the emperor alexander by napoleon's orders he had gone to restore to the russian emperor the private property seized at the battle of dresden in exchange for which napoleon hoped to get back Van the czar rewarded general hulot very handsomely giving him this casket and saying that he hoped one day to show the same courtesy to the emperor of the french but he kept the imperial arms of Russia were displayed in gold on the lid of the box, which was inlaid with gold. The marshal counted the banknotes it contained. He had a hundred and fifty-two thousand francs. He saw this with satisfaction. At the same moment, Madame Hulot came into the room in a state to touch the heart of the sternest judge. She flew into Hector's arms, looking alternately with a crazy eye at the marshal and at the case of pistols what have you to say against your brother what has my husband done to you said she in such a voice that the marshal heard her he has disgraced us all replied the republican veteran who spoke with a vehemence that reopened one of his old wounds he has robbed the government he has cast odium on my name he makes me wish i were dead he has killed me i have only strength enough left to make restitution i have been abased before the conde of the republic the man i esteem above all others and to whom i unjustifiably gave the lie the prince of wissembourg is that nothing that is the score his country has against him he wiped away a tear now as to his family he went on he is robbing you of the bread i had saved for you the fruit of thirty years economy of the privations of an old soldier here is what was intended for you and he held up the banknotes he has killed his uncle fisher a noble and worthy son of alsace who could not as he can endure the thought of a stain on his peasant's honor to crown all god in his adorable clemency had allowed him to choose an angel among women he has had the unspeakable happiness of having an adeline for his wife and he has deceived her he has soaked her in sorrows he has neglected her for prostitutes for street hussies for ballet girls actresses cadine josepha marneffe and that is the brother i treated as a son and made my pride go wretched man if you can accept the life of degradation you have made for yourself leave my house i have not the heart to curse a brother i have loved so well i am as foolish about him as you are adeline but never let me see him again i forbid his attending my funeral or following me to the grave let him show the decency of a criminal if he can feel no remorse the marshal as pale as death fell back on the settee exhausted by his solemn speech and for the first time in his life perhaps tears gathered in his eyes and rolled down his cheeks My poor uncle, cried Lisbeth, putting a handkerchief to her eyes. Brother, said Adeline, kneeling down by the Marshal, live for my sake. Help me in the task of reconciling Héctor to the world and making him redeem the past. He, cried the Marshal, if he lives he is not at the end of his crimes a man who has misprized an adeline who has smothered in his own soul the feelings of a true republican which i tried to instill into him the love of his country of his family and of the poor that man is a monster a swine take him away if you still care for him for a voice within me cries to me to load my pistols and blow his brains out by killing him i should save you all and i should save him too from himself the old man started to his feet with such a terrifying gesture that poor adeline exclaimed, Hector, come! She seized her husband's arm, dragged him away, and out of the house, but the baron was so broken down that she was obliged to call a coach to take him to the rue Plumet, where he went to bed. The man remained there for several days in a sort of half dissolution, refusing all nourishment without a word. By floods of tears, Adeline persuaded him to swallow a little broth. She nursed him, sitting by his bed, and feeling only of all the emotions that once had filled her heart the deepest pity for him at half-past twelve. Lisbeth showed into her dear marshal's room, for she would not leave him, so much was she alarmed at the evident change in him. Count Steinbach and the notary, Monsieur le Comte said the marshal. I would beg you to be so good as to put your signature to a document authorizing my niece your wife to sell a bond for certain funds of which she at present holds only the reversion you mademoiselle fisher will agree to this sale thus losing your life interest in the securities yes dear count said lisbeth without hesitation good my dear said the old soldier i hope i may live to reward you but I did not doubt you. You are a true Republican, a daughter of the people. He took the old maid's hand and kissed it. Monsieur Anakin, he went on, speaking to the notary, draw up the necessary document in the form of a power of attorney, and let me have it within two hours, so that I may sell the stock on the bourse to-day. My niece, the countess, holds the security she will be here to sign the power of attorney when you bring it and so will mademoiselle monsieur le comte will be good enough to go with you and sign it at your office the artist at a nod from lisbeth bowed respectfully to the marshal and went away next morning at ten o'clock the comte de forzheim sent in to announce himself to the prince and was at once admitted well my dear hulot said the prince holding out the newspapers to his old friend we have saved appearances you see read marshal hulot laid the papers on his comrade's table and held out to him the two hundred thousand francs here is the money of which my brother robbed the state said he what madness cried the minister it is impossible he said into the speaking-trumpet handed to him by the marshal to manage this restitution we should be obliged to declare your brother's dishonest dealings and we have done everything to hide them do what you like with the money but the family shall not owe one sou of its fortune to a robbery on the funds of the state said the count i will take the king's commands in the matter we will discuss it no further replied the prince perceiving that it would be impossible to conquer the old man's sublime obstinacy on the point Good-bye Cotin said the old soldier taking the prince's hand. I feel as if my soul were frozen Then after going a step towards the door he turned round Looked at the prince and seeing that he was deeply moved he opened his arms to clasp him in them The two old soldiers embraced each other i feel as if i were taking leave of the whole of the old army in you said the count good-bye my good old comrade said the minister yes it is good-bye for i am going where all our brave men are for whom we have mourned just then claude vignon was shown in the two relics of the napoleonic phalanx bowed gravely to each other effacing every trace of emotion you have i hope been satisfied by the papers said the master of appeals elect i contrived to let the opposition papers believe that they were letting out our secrets unfortunately it is all in vain replied the minister watching hulot as he left the room i have just gone through a leave-taking that has been a great grief to me for indeed marshal hulot has not three days to live i saw that plainly enough yesterday That man, one of those honest souls that are above proof, a soldier respected by the bullets in spite of his valor, received his death-blow, there in that armchair, and dealt by my hand in a letter. Ring and order my carriage, I must go to Neuilly, said he, putting the two hundred thousand francs into his official portfolio. Notwithstanding Lisbeth's nursing, Marshal Hulot three days later was a dead man such men are the glory of the party they support to republicans the marshal was the ideal of patriotism and they all attended his funeral which was followed by an immense crowd the army the state officials the court and the populace all came to do homage to this lofty virtue this spotless honesty this immaculate glory such a last tribute of the people is not a thing to be had for the asking this funeral was distinguished by one of those tributes of delicate feeling of good taste and sincere respect which from time to time remind us of the virtues and dignity of the old french nobility following the marshals bier came the old marquis de Montauron, the brother of him who in the great rising of the chouan in 1799 had been the foe the luckless foe of hulot That marquis, killed by the balls of the Blues, had confided the interests of his young brother to the Republican soldier, Sie Lachouan. Hulot had so faithfully acted on the noble royalist's verbal will that he succeeded in saving the young man's estates, though he himself was at the time an émigré. And so the homage of the old French nobility was not wanting to the leader who, nine years since, had conquered Madame this death happening just four days before the bands were cried for the last time came upon lisbeth like the thunderbolt that burns the garnered harvest with the barn the peasant of lorraine as often happens had succeeded too well the marshal had died of the blows dealt to the family by herself and madame the old maid's vindictiveness which success seemed to have somewhat mollified was aggravated by this disappointment of her hopes lisbeth went crying with rage to Madame marneffe for she was homeless the marshal having agreed that his lease was at any time to terminate with his life crevel to console valerie's friend took charge of her savings added to them considerably and invested the capital in five per cents giving her the life interest and putting the securities into celestine's name thanks to this stroke of business lisbeth had an income of about two thousand francs When the marshal's property was examined and valued, a note was found, addressed to his sister-in-law, to his niece Hortense, and to his nephew Victorin, desiring that they would pay among them an annuity of twelve hundred francs to Mademoiselle Lisbeth Fisher, who was to have been his wife. Adeline, seeing her husband between life and death, succeeded for some days in hiding from him the fact of his brother's death, but lisbeth came in mourning and the terrible truth was told him eleven days after the funeral the crushing blow revived the sick man's energies he got up found his family collected in the drawing-room all in black and suddenly silent as he came in in a fortnight hulot as lean as a spectre looked to his family the mere shadow of himself "'I must decide on something,' said he in a husky voice as he seated himself in an easy-chair and looked round at the party, of whom Crevel and Steinbach were absent. "'We cannot stay here. The rent is too high,' Hortense was saying, just as her father came in. "'As to a home,' said Victorin, breaking the painful silence, "'I can offer my mother—' as he heard these words which excluded him the baron raised his head which was sunk on his breast as though he were studying the pattern of the carpet though he did not even see it and he gave the young lawyer an appealing look the rights of a father are so indefeasibly sacred even when he is a villain and devoid of honor that victorin paused to your mother the baron repeated you are right my son the room's over ours in our wing said celestine finishing her husband's sentence i am in your way my dears said the baron with the mildness of a man who has judged himself but do not be uneasy as to the future you will have no further cause for complaint of your father you will not see him till the time when you need no longer blush for him he went up to hortense and kissed her brow he opened his arms to his son who rushed into his embrace guessing his father's purpose the baron signed to lisbeth who came to him and he kissed her forehead then he went to his room whither adeline followed him in an agony of dread my brother was quite right adeline he said holding her hand i am unworthy of my home life i dared not bless my children who have behaved so nobly But in my heart tell them that i could only venture to kiss them for the blessing of a bad man a father who has been an assassin and the scourge of his family instead of its protector and its glory might bring evil on them but assure them that i shall bless them every day as to you god alone for he is almighty can ever reward you according to your merits i can only ask your forgiveness and he knelt at her feet taking her hands and wetting them with his tears hector hector your sins have been great but divine mercy is infinite and you may repair all by staying with me rise up in christian charity my dear i am your wife and not your judge i am your possession Do what you will with me. Take me wherever you go. I feel strong enough to comfort you, to make life endurable to you, by the strength of my love, my care and respect. Our children are settled in life. They need me no more. Let me try to be an amusement to you, an occupation. Let me share the pain of your banishment and of your poverty, and help to mitigate it. I could always be of some use, if it were only to save the expense of a servant." "'Can you forgive, my dearly-beloved Adeline?' "'Yes. Only get up, my dear.' "'Well, with that forgiveness I can live,' said he, rising to his feet. "'I came back into this room that my children should not see their father's humiliation.' oh the sight constantly before their eyes of a father so guilty as i am is a terrible thing it must undermine parental influence and break every family tie so i cannot remain among you and i must go to spare you the odious spectacle of a father bereft of dignity do not oppose my departure adeline it would only be to load with your own hand the pistol to blow my brains out above all do not seek me in my hiding-place you would deprive me of the only strong motive remaining in me that of remorse hector's decisiveness silenced his dejected wife adeline lofty in the midst of all this ruin had derived her courage from her perfect union with her husband for she had dreamed of having him for her own of the beautiful task of comforting him, of leading him back to family life, and reconciling him to himself. But, Hector, would you leave me to die of despair, anxiety, and alarms? said she, seeing herself bereft of the mainspring of her strength. I will come back to you, dear angel, sent from heaven expressly for me, I believe. I will come back, if not rich, at least with enough to live in ease listen my sweet adeline i cannot stay here for many reasons in the first place my pension of six thousand francs is pledged for four years so i have nothing that is not all i shall be committed to prison within a few days in consequence of the bills held by vauvinet so i must keep out of the way until my son to whom i will give full instructions shall have bought in the bills my disappearance will facilitate that as soon as my pension is my own and vauvinet is paid off i will return to you you would be sure to let out the secret of my hiding-place be calm do not cry adeline it is only for a month where will you go what will you do what will become of you who will take care of you now that you are no longer young let me go with you we will go abroad said she well well we will see he replied the baron rang and ordered mariette to collect all his things and pack them quickly and secretly then after embracing his wife with a warmth of affection to which she was unaccustomed he begged her to leave him alone for a few minutes while he wrote his instructions for victorin Promising that he would not leave the house till dark or without her As soon as the Baroness was in the drawing-room the cunning old man stole out through the dressing-closet to the anteroom and went away giving Mariette a slip of paper on which was written address my trunks to go by railway to Corbet to Monsieur Hector cloakroom Corbet The baron jumped into a hackney coach and was rushing across Paris by the time Mariette came to give the baroness this note and say that her master had gone out. Adeline flew back into her room, trembling more violently than ever. Her children followed on hearing her give a piercing cry. They found her in a dead faint, and they put her to bed, for she was seized by a nervous fever which held her for a month between life and death. Where is he was the only thing she would say. Victorin sought for him in vain. And this is why. The baron had driven to the place du Palais-Royal. There this man, who had recovered all his wits to work out a scheme which he had premeditated during the days he had spent crushed with pain and grief, crossed the Palais-Royal on foot and took a handsome carriage from a livery-stable in the rue In obedience to his orders, the coachman went to the Rue de la ville l'évêque and into the courtyard of Josepha's Mansion, the gates opening at once at the call of the driver of such a splendid vehicle. Josepha came out, prompted by curiosity, for her manservant had told her that a helpless old gentleman, unable to get out of his carriage, begged her to come to him for a moment. Josepha, it is I the singer recognized her hulot only by his voice what you poor old man on my honor you look like a twenty-franc piece that the jews have sweated and the money-changers refuse alas yes replied hulot i am snatched from the jaws of death but you are as lovely as ever will you be kind that depends said she everything is relative listen said can you put me up for a few days in a servant's room under the roof i have nothing not a farthing not a hope no food no pension no wife no children no roof over my head without honour without courage without a friend and worse than all that liable to imprisonment for not meeting a bill poor old fellow you are without most things are you also sans culotte you laugh at me i am done for cried the baron and i counted on you as gourville did on ninon and it was a real lady i am told who brought you to this said josepha those precious sluts know how to pluck a goose even better than we do why you are like a corpse that the crows have done with i can see daylight through time is short josepha come in old boy i am alone as it happens and my people don't know you send away your trap is it paid for yes said the baron getting out with the help of josepha's arm you may call yourself my father if you like said the singer moved to pity. she made houlot sit down in the splendid drawing-room where he had last seen her and is it the fact old man she went on that you have killed your brother and your uncle ruined your family mortgaged your children's house over and over again and robbed the government till in africa all for your princess hulot sadly bent his head well i admire that cried josepha starting up in her enthusiasm it is a general flare-up it is Sardinapolis, splendid thoroughly complete i may be a hussy but i have a soul i tell you i like a spendthrift like you crazy over a woman a thousand times better than those torpid heartless bankers who are supposed to be so good and who ruin no end of families with their rails gold for them and iron for their gulls you have only ruined those who belong to you you have sold no one but yourself and then you have excuses physical and moral she struck a tragic attitude and spouted tis venus whose grasp never parts from her prey and there you are and she pirouetted on her toe vice hulot found could forgive him vice smiled on him from the midst of unbridled luxury here as before a jury the magnitude of a crime was an extenuating circumstance and is your lady pretty at any rate asked josepha trying as a preliminary act of charity to divert hulot's thoughts for his depression grieved her on my word almost as pretty as you are said the baron artfully and monstrously droll so i have been told what does she do i say is she better fun than i am i don't want to talk about her said And I hear she has come round my Crevel, and little Steinbach, and a gorgeous Brazilian? Very likely. And that she has got a house as good as this that Crevel has given her—the baggage. She is my provost-marshal, and finishes off those I have spoiled. I tell you why I am so curious to know what she is like, old boy. I just caught sight of her in the bois, in an open carriage, but a long way off she is a most accomplished harpy carabine says she is trying to eat up crevel but he only lets her nibble crevel is a knowing hand good-natured but hard-headed who will always say yes and then go his own way he is vain and passionate but his cash is cold you can never get anything out of such fellows beyond a thousand to three thousand francs a month they jib at any serious outlay as a donkey does at a running stream not like you old boy you are a man of passions you would sell your country for a woman and look here i am ready to do anything for you you are my father you started me in life it is a sacred duty what do you want do you want a hundred thousand francs i will wear myself to a rag to gain them as to giving you bed and board that is nothing a place will be laid for you here every day you can have a good room on the second floor and a hundred crowns a month for pocket-money the baron deeply touched by such a welcome had a last qualm of honor no my dear child no i did not come here for you to keep me said he at your age it is something to be proud of said she this is what i wish my child your duc d'herouville has immense estates in normandy and i want to be his steward under the name of toul i have the capacity and i am honest a man may borrow of the government and yet not steal from a cash-box Mm mm-hmm, said josepha once drunk drinks again in short i only want to live out of sight for three years well it is soon done said josepha This evening, after dinner, I have only to speak. The Duke would marry me if I wished it, but I have his fortune, and I want something better. His esteem. He is a Duke of the first water. He is high-minded, as noble and great as Louis the Fourteenth and Napoleon rolled into one. Though he is a dwarf. Besides, I have done for him what Lachance did for Rochefide, by taking my advice. He has made two millions now listen to me old popgun i know you you are always after the women and you would be dancing attendance on the normandy girls who are splendid creatures and getting your ribs cracked by their lovers and fathers and the duke would have to get you out of the scrape why can't i see by the way you look at me that the young man is not dead in you as fenelon put it no this stewardship is not the thing for you a man cannot be off with his paris and with us old boy for the saying you would die of weariness at herbeville what is to become of me said the baron for i will only stay here till i see my way well shall i find a pigeon-hole for you listen you old pirate women are what you want they are consolation in all circumstances attend now at the end of the alley rue saint maur du temple there is a poor family i know of where there is a jewel of a little girl prettier than i was at sixteen ah there is a twinkle in your eye already the child works sixteen hours a day at embroidering costly pieces for the silk merchants and earns sixteen sous a day one sou an hour and feeds like the irish on potatoes fried in rat stripping with bread five times a week and drinks canal water out of the town pipes because the seine water costs too much and she cannot set up on her own account for lack of six or seven thousand francs your wife and children bore you to death don't they besides one cannot submit to be nobody where one has been a little almighty a father who has neither money nor honor can only be stuffed and kept in a glass case The baron could not help smiling at these abominable jests Well now bijou is to come tomorrow morning to bring me an embroidered wrapper a gem It has taken six months to make no one else will have any stuff like it Bijou is very fond of me I give her tidbits and my old gowns and I send orders for bread and meat and wood to the family Who would break the shin-bones of the first-comer if i bid them i try to do a little good ah i know what i endured from hunger myself bijou has confided to me all her little sorrows there is the making of a super at the ambigu comique in that child her dream is to wear fine dresses like mine above all to ride in a carriage i shall say to her look here little one would you like to have a friend of-how old are you? she asked interrupting herself. Seventy-two? I have given up counting. Would you like an old gentleman of seventy-two, I shall say, very clean and neat and who does not take snuff, who is as sound as a bell and as good as a young man? He will marry you in the thirteenth arrondissement and be very kind to you he will place seven thousand francs in your account and furnish you a room all in mahogany and if you are good he will sometimes take you to the play he will give you a hundred francs a month for pocket-money and fifty francs for housekeeping i know Bijou. she is myself at fourteen i jumped for joy when that horrible crevel made me his atrocious offers well and you old man will be disposed of for three years she is a good child well-behaved for three or four years she will have her illusions not for longer hulot did not hesitate he had made up his mind to refuse but to seem grateful to the kind-hearted singer who was benevolent after her lights he affected to hesitate between vice and virtue why you are as cold as a paving-stone in winter she exclaimed in amazement come now You will make a whole family happy, a grandfather who runs all the errands, a mother who is being worn out with work, and two sisters, one of them very plain, who make thirty-two sous a day while putting their eyes out. It will make up for the misery you have caused at home, and you will expiate your sin while you are having as much fun as a minx at Mabille hulot to put an end to this temptation moved his fingers as if he were counting out money oh be quite easy as to ways and means replied josepha my duke will lend you ten thousand francs seven thousand to start an embroidery shop in bijou's name and three thousand for furnishing and every three months you will find a cheque here for six hundred and fifty francs when you get your pension paid you you can repay the seventeen thousand francs meanwhile you will be as happy as a cow in clover and hidden in a hole where the police will never find you you must wear a loose serge coat and you will look like a comfortable householder call yourself Toul, if that is your fancy i will tell bijou that you are an uncle of mine come from germany having failed in business and you will be cosseted like a divinity there now daddy and who knows you may have no regrets in case you should be bored keep one sunday rig out and you can come and ask me for a dinner and spend the evening here I, and i meant to settle down and behave myself look here borrow twenty thousand francs for me and i will set out to make my fortune in america like my friend d'aiglement when nucingen cleaned him out you cried josepha Nay, leave morals to work-a-day folks, to raw recruits, to the worthy citizens who have nothing to boast of but their virtue. You, you were born to be something better than a poop. You are as a man what I am as a woman, a spendthrift of genius. We will sleep on it and discuss it all tomorrow morning. You will dine with the duke my derouville will receive you as civilly as if you were the savior of the state and tomorrow you can decide come be jolly old boy life is a garment when it is dirty we must brush it when it is ragged it must be patched but we keep it on as long as we can this philosophy of life and her high spirits postponed hulot's keenest pangs at noon next day after a capital breakfast hulot saw the arrival of one of those living masterpieces which paris alone of all the cities in the world can produce by means of the constant concubinage of luxury and poverty of vice and decent honesty of suppressed desire and renewed temptation which makes the french capital the daughter of nineveh of babylon and of imperial rome mademoiselle olympe bijou a child of sixteen had the exquisite face which raphael drew for his virgins eyes of pathetic innocence weary with overwork black eyes with long lashes their moisture parched with the heat of laborious nights and darkened with fatigue a complexion like porcelain almost too delicate a mouth like a partly opened pomegranate a heaving bosom a full figure pretty hands the whitest teeth and a mass of black hair and the whole meagrely set off by a cotton frock at seventy-five centimes the metre leather shoes without heels and the cheapest gloves the girl all unconscious of her charms had put on her best frock to wait on the fine lady the baron gripped again by the clutch of profligacy, felt all his life concentrated in his eyes. He forgot everything on beholding this delightful creature. He was like a sportsman in sight of the game. If an emperor were present, he must take aim. And warranted sound, said Josepha in his ear, an honest child and wanting bread. This is Paris. I have been there it is a bargain replied the old man getting up and rubbing his hands when olympe bijou was gone josepha looked mischievously at the baron if you want things to keep straight daddy said she be as firm as the public prosecutor on the bench keep a tight hand on her be a bartolo wear auguste hippolyte nestor victor or that is gold in every form. When once the child is fed and dressed, if she gets the upper hand, she will drive you like a serf. I will see to settling you comfortably. The duke does the handsome. He will lend, that is, give you, ten thousand francs, and he deposits eight thousand with his notary, who will pay you six hundred francs every quarter, for I cannot trust you. Now, am I nice? Adorable. Ten days after deserting his family, when they were gathered round adeline who seemed to be dying, as she said again and again in a weak voice, Where is he? Hector, under the name of Tulle, was established in the Rue Saint-Maur at the head of a business as embroiderer under the name of Toul and Bijoux End of chapter thirty one.